This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is Professor Chen Wang. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Chen. Excellent. <laughs> are you pretty excited to be here? I'm super excited. We are incredibly excited to have you here. <laughs> I'm super curious about what's going to happen next. Curio- Very nice. Well done. That's a fantastic segue because you study curiosity. Yes. And we'll jump into that in a second. But I want to start... Jen, with uh, sort of how you got here in terms of your journey, how did you get interested in becoming a professor and studying these kinds of issues in a much more rigorous way? Uh, well, that's a really good question. So I actually decided to become a teacher and professor very early on in my life. This is because most of my family members are teachers and professors. Mm-hmm. So my mom's a university professor. Oh, nice. My grandfather's a university professor. My grandmother is an elementary school teacher. My mm-hmm. great-grandparents are also teachers. Oh, it I runs grew- in the family. Uh, yes, family business. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Very, very cool. So, so, so you had you under had a really good understanding of how the field of academia works. Yes. So you you knew that at that time that this is something that you were going to be interested in. Right. And uh-huh. also I grew up on the university campus. Okay. I'm just super familiar with super academic familiar. environments. Yeah. So. The academic environment is very familiar to you. Yes. Very, very cool. So. And so, so when you started thinking about what it is you would begin to study initially, what were your topics that you thought were, you were, that would really excite you when you first started in terms of academic sorts of things you were interested in understanding? Well, um, actually, my undergraduate education is oh. engineering. Engineering, okay. So I gradually switched to business and social science later on. Okay. Why the switch? Well, I guess after four years of en- uh, undergraduate study, I realized I did well in exams, but I realized I like people more than machines. <laughs> <laughs> yes, most of us do. <laughs> so yes. I realized maybe engineering is not my passion. I should find something I'm really passionate about. Mm-hmm. So I uh, switch to business That's later a very on. smart thing to do, Shen, because I, I constantly <laughs> counsel my students. Like, listen, a lot of students sometimes here at the campus, they are chasing the herd. Mm-hmm. And I try to tell them, listen, you, gotta, you really have to focus on what you're passionate about. And so you felt like, hey, I need to study people. I need to study behavior. Yes. And you got super interested in that. Right. Tell us a little bit more about how this journey continued to evolve. Uh, well, so um, after uh, engineering study, mm-hmm. and I went to uh, a University of Michigan to finish my uh, master's study, which is nice. in industrial engineering. Okay. So uh, this is not something complete about machines, mm-hmm. which um, you actually have to take some business courses. Mm-hmm. So I got exposed to marketing courses, met some really nice, nice marketing professors there, okay. which sort of led me into the way into okay. marketing okay. and start to realize, wow, marketing is really fascinating. Excellent. This, Excellent. Is, this is something I really want to study for the rest of my life. Why marketing? What's special about marketing? Well, I guess I'm a consumer. Yeah. Well, I shop all the time. Yes, this is <laughs> I true. start to analyze my own behavior. Interesting. Like, okay. I should also study behaviors mm-hmm. Um, as a researcher. I see, I so see. So that's my starting yeah, point. Yeah, I love that idea, Shin, because it's like part of what drives me as well is kind of observing what I'm interested in in terms of how my own behavior evolves. Right. And sort of you know, asking yourself, why do I do this particular thing? Or why am I seeing other people, for example, out there doing a particular thing and then trying to ask yourself, right. you know, why is that happening? And that's kind of the intellect. I guess that's the intellectual curiosity piece that plays right. in this, right? Right. Yeah. And so when you started thinking about, hey, I want to study marketing, how did you figure out like what within marketing you would be particularly interested in? 
Right. Yeah. So I, then I got into the doctoral program at University of British Columbia in oh, Canada. Nice. UBC. Who's yeah, your advisor? UBC. Uh, Julia Ju. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And nice. so uh, during my doctoral program, I started to... Um, search for my dissertation topic, mm-hmm. and also as a consumer, start to realize, wow, there are a lot of curiosity cues in the consumption world. Interesting. Um, for example, we're watching a TV show, the ends on cliffhanger, oh, just drives me nuts. I what see. is going to happen for I the see. next episode? Interesting. Or wh- while we're watching some teaser commercials, sporting event, mm-hmm. who's going to be the winner? Mm-hmm. So um, I become, I became just really curious about my own curiosity. Mm-hmm. That just start me oh, to read more papers, yeah. get started to explore this topic. Interesting. That's very fascinating to me, Shen, because it's one of the things that, that we do, listeners out there, uh, ac- academics, is that we take a construct like curiosity and then we try to be very precise in terms of, well, what right. does that mean? Me. I think everyone walks around with an idea about what they think curiosity is. Uh, But as a researcher, one of the big differences between how we think about things and how perhaps the layperson thinks about things is that we have to have absolute razor-sharp clarity around (laughs) what we call a construct or the idea. So, Shane, why don't you tell us, what's your definition of curiosity? I'm curious. That's great. (laughs) Thank you very much. Please send your dollars to America Sweet Care of Biz Rate. No, I'm kidding. Please tell us, though. So, um, the definition in the literature, curiosity has been defined as a cognitive deprivation that mm-hmm. arises from oh. the information gap between what you currently know oh, and what you desire to know. Okay. So because of this information gap, mm-hmm. you have this cognitive deprivation. Okay. So that is wow. curiosity. That's fantastic. Listeners, I just, these words are just fabulous. I love these words. Cognitive deprivation. deprivation. Wow. Very elegant. Yeah, very elegant. <laughs> so there's a gap there. What I know, and it's, it's, it's specific to a particular domain or an object or maybe all of the above. What? How does this work? So, uh, well, there are different types of curiosity, but mm-hmm. what I'm interested in is this specific domain-specific curiosity. Okay. Okay. So it has to be curious about a particular question okay. or a particular object, okay. which will generate this information gap. Gotcha. Gotcha. And this, this information gap, I guess you, measure, you you think about it as being small versus little. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, the larger this cognitive deprivation gap, curiosity gap, the more motivated I am to go fe- yes. to reduce that. So so presumably the inference that's being made here is that we don't like gaps. Right. As we con- want to close the we gap. We want to close that gap. And right. as consumers, we're looking for ways to then uh, do that, to, g- to gain information, to maybe search for more search information. Search for the missing information oh, to close the gap. And so part of the implication here then, Chin, is that marketers may can affect what is this perceived gap, right. number one, and then number two, they can direct a consumer along a certain path to kind of get that information, and maybe mm-hmm. part of that information will have to do with learning about their specific brand right. and the benefits of that brand, for example. Right. Interesting. And so then curiosity. Then how do you how do you how do you so in a typical study that you might do? How do you um, make this happen? Right. Yeah. So in our experiments, we actually so for example, uh, this is also relevant with real life experiences. Mm-hmm. So we asked participants to watch a short TV show, mm-hmm. um, but beforehand, I actually divided the TV show into two parts. Okay. The, far- the first part will end um, right before the ending of the, of the story will uh, is about I to see. be revealed. Yep. Yep. So to trigger the curiosity, we asked the participants to watch the first part of the video. Mm-hmm. They'll be curious to mm-hmm. know what mm-hmm. will happen in the end. Gotcha. Well, as a control condition, uh-huh. 
the participants will watch the whole story, oh, just the entire video, entire show. So they will know what will happen at the end. They okay. will not be curious as a control group. Gotcha. So we have these two groups. Experimental uh, design is it's got two group design. Right. And in one case, you have you have. So it, do you split the video? You you yes. put some time in between the end of the. The cliffhanger, let's say, and then right. the beginning of the the resolution of that cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah. I use some software to okay. divide the video cool. into two parts. That's very very so cool. So depending on the condition, yeah. I ask participants to watch the corresponding uh, parts. Gotcha. To trigger. And in curiosity. the control condition, they just watch the entire clip. Entire thing. Okay, and then they move on to some second task. Yes. Okay. What's the second task? So in my research. Um, Actually, the paper is about. So I was working with my colleague at Drexel, Yan mm-hmm. Lu Huang, who's yes. also a graduate from Wharton. Yes, she is. <laughs> but she has happened to be teaching tonight. She can't oh. join oh, us. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Please tell her we said hi. Hi, Yan. <laughs> and she also said hi to you guys. Yeah, excellent. Very cool. <laughs> so actually, in our paper, we're mm-hmm. not interested in seeing how curiosity drives people to search for the information. Okay. Okay. Because that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. And that's, that's a pretty actu- uh, well understood relationship. Right. That, if I'm curious, I search more. Right. Yeah. So. What we're interested in seeing is how this curiosity affect people's behaviors other than information seeking. Oh. And what we found that is when people are curious, they're more likely to pick the indulgent options in the food domain oh, really? or the financial domain. Wow. So, for example, in one study, we asked participants to watch this TV show. Mm-hmm. They become curious. Mm-hmm. And then we provided two snacks for them to choose as a thank you gift. Gotcha. Which is actually our key dependence measure. Gotcha. So we provide two options. One is a very indulgent, satisfying uh-uh. chocolate cookie bar. Okay. The okay. other is probably pretty healthy, low-calorie granola bar. Interesting. Not very satisfying, but it's very healthy, low-calorie. Okay. So we just ask them to choose one of choose the two one. as okay. a thank you gift. Gotcha. So we found that for those curious participants, mm-hmm. they're more likely to cho- choose this chocolate cookie bar. Oh, a lot of calorie, unhealthy, but very satisfying and indulgent. Do you have a sense of the, the shift of the choice shares? Like what's the percentage of... of it just kind of it's sort of meta analytically speaking right. across your studies. What's, how big is the, that difference? Um, Do you have a sense around of around twenty percent? Okay, maybe. jump up a twenty percent increase in the choice. Yeah, yeah, no worries. That's interesting. I'm just trying to get a sense of like how bad my waistline is going to look <laughs> if I'm suddenly curious. We should know? put a lot of chocolate bars know, in the right? studio right should now. Should totally do that. That is fascinating. And so they literally curiosity leads to more indulgent choices. Yes, interesting. That's our finding. Now, to what extent, Chen, is this? Uh, an effect that's driven by because one possible and maybe this is part of the explanation maybe it's not you will tell us one possible explanation is when you're when I'm primed in the context of cliffhanger weight mm-hmm. resolve it's almost like a television kind of thing so maybe when I'm in television watching mode where I'm more like in my this mode of where I'm in, entertaining and I'm enjoying mm-hmm. I, I want to be in that mode with the the indulgence-ness if that's a word mm-hmm. uh, of a snack I might have is that mm-hmm. part of the story or, or um, no okay so we okay. actually also use some other other manipulations okay. to trigger consumers' curiosity. So, oh. for example, we asked them to solve some riddles. Okay. For curious participants, we just didn't give them the answers oh, to the I riddles. see. Okay. Um, for control condition, not curious participants, we provided answers to them right away. Gotcha, gotcha. So, for this situation, there's not this entertainment context, okay. uh, which can rule out your explanation, okay. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, our explanation is, mm-hmm. when you're curious... You're cognitively deprived. Okay. So you're trying to search for the answer. You're okay. looking forward to find some reward because this oh. answer the or a- misinformation okay. uh, in the literature is documented as an information reward. Okay. Because once you know the answer, you become immediately 
relieved. Oh, okay. I got to know the answer. Gotcha. So when you're curious, you're cognitive. Cognitively deprived, mm-hmm. so you're looking for something rewarding, especially okay. when you don't have the answer at that moment. Okay. Um, as a compensate, if you have this indulgent food or indulgent financial reward, you're going to pick it right away to satisfy your cognitive deprivation. Okay. So let me ask you this, Shim. So if if the if it's a if it's re- basically I need to put in a, basically substitute in a reward to help me right. fill this gap. Yes. Is it the case that if you reward me in a different way? If I can find a different reward, I won't want the indulgent snack as much? Or how does this, have you tested that kind of thing? Yes, yeah. exactly. Actually, I had one study test exactly what you just mentioned. So okay. basically, uh, we trigger consumers' participants' curiosity, but we satisfy their cognitive deprivation with a food reward. Mm-hmm. And then we measure whether this effect still persists to mm-hmm. ask them to choose a financial reward. Okay. The effect goes away. Oh, I see. That's really, really interesting. And so this, so there's something about this indulgence piece that makes right. it really very powerful. Right. So how, what are your thoughts on how a marketer might... This is going to the... You know, we always like to ask this at the words. Managerial implications. What are the managerial implications, <laughs> as it were? Well, I think it has some really helpful and useful implications mm-hmm. for marketers okay. for various industries. Okay. So, for example, for those industries... Uh, that is trying to promote consumers' health mm. or financial well-being, okay. um, such as the weight loss programs mm-hmm. or maybe retirement planning. Mm-hmm. For those marketers, maybe they have to be really cautious mm. to avoid those curiosity okay. tactics okay. in their marketing communications. Gotcha. Because doing so, consumers will indulge mm-hmm. um, by not using their product. I see. Um by contrast, for those industries that involve luxury products, entertainment, travel, this hedonic industry, mm-hmm. they might want to use more curiosity uh, communications, mm-hmm. advertisements, mm-hmm. commercials, mm-hmm. because once consumers become curious, they would like to indulge Interesting. by purchasing their products. By purchasing those products. Have you run a study like that? Like a, a naturalistic kind of field? Or you're still like in the lab trying to nail down exactly what's going yeah. from in terms of right. the cognitions and the thoughts, etc. Yes, because we're trying to... Interesting. Um, How many total studies do you have? Five studies. Five. That's fantastic. And the paper in the you're published writing paper. Oh, the, but oh. altogether, we have oh, yeah. like Lots. Ten. Yeah, because <laughs> it's a portfolio. It's a program yes. of research. What are the next steps in the program of research for the effect of curiosity and other outcomes that you're looking at? So currently, uh, I'm still working on curiosity on uh, stereotyping behaviors. Oh, okay. Um, donation behaviors. Okay. Recycling behaviors. Okay. What are you um, finding in those domains? Uh, so one project, uh, we actually found that when people are curious, they're less likely to do stereotyping okay. behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, for example, let's say some service providers, mm-hmm. um, let's say maybe wedding planner okay. and stereotype service plan, a wedding planner is a female. Okay. Um, maybe a male wedding planner is not evaluated oh, as high as a female wedding planner. I see. But actually when you're in this curious mind, mm-hmm. you're more likely to open to hire a male wedding planner. Oh, is that right? So, and how do you explain that? How, how does the... Well, we're still in the oh, process yeah, of trying, trying to figure, figure out, out okay. the process. How does curiosity affect donation behavior? Uh, that's still at, on, at the early stage uh-huh. uh, of that project. What we found is when people are curious, they're more likely to donate in one study. Interesting. So Interesting. still haven't tried, haven't figured out the process yet. Okay, okay. But one possible hypothesis on the fly here might be that they're looking to a reward. They're looking to experience some kind of hedonic reward. 
And in the mm-hmm. con- and if the ch- it just if it just so happens that the context is a charitable believing yeah, that's charitable context, then I might say, hey, to myself, I need to reward the morality that I feel potentially as as a giver. Right. In terms of receiver, maybe. I'm just throwing maybe. that out there. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? That's a really, yeah, really we, interesting. We only got one study interesting ready on the donation on stuff. So let me get, ask you this, Shin. Uh, the curiosity construct is super fascinating. Do you only operationalize it as as gap, or do you also look at other dimensions of the curiosity? Like, the, for example, the intensity of the curiosity. Do they tag curiosity with some level of emotionality associated with it if it gets if the gap is too big does it does it become more of a dissonance feeling thing that i will actually feel in my body how does this work in terms of the construct well so in my research of uh, research stream i haven't looked at how mm-hmm. this uh, magnitude of information gap influence gotcha. consumer uh, c- curiosity intensity, gotcha. but I believe some existing research has shown some initial evidence is more like an inverted U. Okay. So when the gap is really really small, mm-hmm. your curiosity is not too much. Not too much. Um, if the gap is huge, for mm-hmm. example, I'm really curious about. Uh, aliens. Okay. But the gap's huge. <laughs> yes, yes. I don't know. I probably yeah. would never know in my entire life, so I'm not that curious anymore. Gotcha. So gotcha. It's so there's an inverted U. Inverted U in that middle part of the curve then, Chen, is like an optimal level. Right. In your theory, would say there's an optimal level, level of, of curiosity, curiosity that we're trying to encourage in consumers to drive this actual behavior right. that we're trying to get to. Is right. there also, I was wondering whether or not the curiosity gap was a function, this is actually related to your point, was a function of the domain itself. So for example, I might mm-hmm. there might be domains that I believe I'm an expert in, mm-hmm. and then you could create curiosity in that domain, but it's pushing out further in terms of my own knowledge. I know a lot, but there here, here's a context where you make this gap uh, salient to me versus mm-hmm. a domain I know nothing about, mm-hmm. and so it's a, would would it predict? Would the theory predict something different? Is it based on my own perceived level of my I guess my baseline knowledge right. in that particular domain relative to the gap that gets triggered by the cue that's made salient, for example, in some of your studies. Right. Well, I completely agree with you. I think the gap is also dynamic mm-hmm. because it's defined as what I currently know and what I desire to know. Mm-hmm. So the desire to know could be keep expanding once I know more. Gotcha. Oh, I see. I want to know more. I see. So that's why the definition is also very question-specific and domain-specific. Gotcha. So you have to define the question first. And gotcha. then, based on the question, how curious are you in terms of the question? If gotcha. you change the question a little bit, your curiosity level would also change okay. accordingly. Gotcha. So it's a kind of dynamic construct. And it's going to depend right. on, on a lot of other things like context right. and things like that. So that's really, really fascinating because I'm trying to understand it looks like for marketers there's two things that they can do they can affect either what you believe you know and they can also trigger this what do you desire what to do you know? desire to know right and so does that matter in terms of have you looked at any of those I haven't triggers? looked okay. at it yet okay so well that's the good thing about this topic because although it's everywhere mm-hmm. in the consumption domain mm-hmm. um, the literature or academic research hasn't looked much into this curiosity construct gotcha. so there's a lot of room a lot to of explore. room to play. yeah and you're owning this you uh, this are, are there uh, other studies on curiosity like in psychology because yes. I don't know because I'm actually 
actually very much outside of my domain of expertise. <laughs> yes, actually, yeah. there's some existing research. Most existing research focused on curiosity as a personality trait. Oh, okay. So whether you're a highly curious oh, person or not. Okay. But okay. I'm focusing on interesting a situational state. So you yes. got curious because you watch this TV show mm-hmm. because you watch you're watching this commercial. Uh-huh. Um, I'm. Studying the situational curiosity. Absolutely. And in terms of situational curiosity, most existing research study the information-seeking behaviors. I see. Mm-hmm. Um, different and, kinds of curiosity trigger different information-seeking behaviors. Oh, so they have they have tried to come up with some kind of typology of curiosity. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're well. less interested in that. You're just saying, hey, listen, I need to know what happens, temporally speaking, when the state of curiosity is relatively disproportionately heightened or not. Right. That's where you're coming from. But right. there is some research out there that looks at, there. I guess there's an individual difference yes. variables. Yes. And you measure, well, that's interesting. Yes. I, I'm I would, also curious, but yeah. there's a lot to do. Yeah. I just focus on a very narrow point. It's a yeah. starting point. No, it's a very important point, though, because I think it's, I think the fascinating issue around curiosity, because, you know, as an individual difference, I would almost believe in terms of like how you're approaching it, say, listen, it's a state, could be a trait, but also state. But but as a trait, it's like it would seem like if you're asking me, America's how general questions, how curious are you? Right. You know, I, I'm going to like average across all of these domains mm-hmm. that I might that might be sailing in my head at, at any particular right. given time. Right. So in some cases, I'm super curious about music, but I'm not so curious about, you know, cement biology. and asphalt, biology, whatever. <laughs> right. And so but I am going to give. But I guess their point is that if you even if you average across different possible domains that a consumer might care about in terms of potential curiosity points that you still will pick up on some kind of variation and yes, some people are just super duper curious yes interesting absolutely. i wonder if curiosity correlates with something like need for cognition like need Probably. to be thinking about yeah and also maybe even creativity create oh that's interesting if you're curious maybe you're also highly cur- uh, highly creative oh, yeah um Need for cognition. Need for, co- for yeah, sure. but of course, need for cognition. It's, I, it's, I mean, I work with need for cognition in some of the studies, and it oh, it correlates with everything. everything. <laughs> <laughs> right, so people just want to think, so it has right. all these different relationships. So, what are some of the next things that you're interested in looking at in the career in the curiosity research? What are some of the next st- the next sets of studies that you want to run that you're pretty excited about? So, currently, I'm working on this domain: how curiosity impact people's behavior, mm-hmm. other than information seeking. Mm-hmm. So some behaviors uh, I mentioned early on, mm-hmm. such as stereotyping behavior, donation behavior, recycling behaviors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is uh, my ongoing project as for now. Gotcha. And I'm pretty sure because I'm really curious about curiosity, sure. I would have uh, other ongoing projects once I finish things gotcha. at hand. Gotcha. But I love this idea about indulgence, though, because you have a very specific hypothesis that you can put forward mm-hmm. with respect to the, the marketer, depending upon the nature of his or her product. Right. Right. So if it if it's a healthy product, for example, then they should it, avoid it. They should avoid it. They, that's very interesting. So that literally gives very specific guidance with respect to how should I present information, you know, for example, about my product, my right. my, my health bar, you know, things of that nature. Um, and if it's the other side, let's say you're you're you uh, the type of product curiosity. you should try to. But do you have any sense of like the ways that they like a luxury product might try to engender more curiosity? Like within the within their specific collaterals that they might interact with their customers. 
Um, maybe yeah. use some teaser advertisements oh. or even using some puzzles in their Yeah, so they could actually promotion. like build. Actually, that's interesting. So especially in the luxury space where there's a lot of power around telling a story about the product and the lifestyle. Right. So you can almost set it. That would be a really interesting hypothesis to test. Like could you create that kind of cliffhanger effect? By like doing like actually like a luxury commercial right. for your product, right? right? And then like creating that kind of you know that kind of hey you know you need to you, you really want to see how this ends, right? And like would they be more interested it's in buying, buying your product, luxury product. The luxury product? Yeah. That is very very cool stuff. Well, Shen, clearly uh, it's been exciting talking to you about your research. <laughs> thank thank, you. thank you. you so much for coming on our show tonight. It was My a pleasure to have pleasure. you. Oh, thank you very much. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.